Trent Cotney and John Kenny are dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal business and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law and Mortar. Hey, this is Trent Cotney. I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of Law and Mortar. As always, I've got John Kenny with me. John, how are you doing? Doing great. It's uh, always wonderful to be here and have a chance to uh, reach out to the people, the loyal people that continue to watch this podcast. Yep, absolutely. We're in September now. Uh, fall weather is approaching, maybe not here in Florida, but uh, I'm sure elsewhere. So um, as we kind of get into that, you know, it's it's always hiring season year round for contractors and trades looking for talent. Uh, you and I have talked plenty of times how uh, lack of skilled labor is still the, the biggest threat to the construction industry. So pretty much if you're going to be looking for talent, the only way you're going to find it is if you find it from somebody else. Um, that raises a lot of different issues, I guess, from both the a legal and a business standpoint, you know, one thing that we have to look at uh, oftentimes is, you know, has the uh, potential employee signed any kind of restrictive covenants, you know, by restrictive covenants, I'm usually talking about non-competes if they agreed not to, to compete in a certain geographic area for a certain time period, all those types of things. Are there non-solicitation provisions in there about going out for clients or customers? What type of confidentiality is there? These are always key things that as an employer out there, you need to vet and you need to kind of figure out, you know, what's the legitimacy to it? Is there anything there? And, and what else can we do for purposes of, of trying to sort of shore up our position before we move forward? So, John, you know, I know you encounter it more on the business side of things. What what do you see? Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you kind of speaking off of the, the, the uh, bare business cuff, I've never was a huge fan of just a basic non-compete. And, and let me expand on that a little bit because I think it's important. I, I believe there, as an employer, putting my employer hat back on, um, you definitely want to have covenants as far as your trade secrets, as far as, you know, your systems, your processes. Um, non-competes get a little hairy unless you really spent the time to think them out and work with somebody, you know, on the legal side, really do it correct way because there's so many ways in force. But I always found that most employees that you try to get involved with these non-competes, now this could be an industry issue um, in construction. I don't, because maybe we don't pay enough money for somebody to feel comfortable signing most non-competes, but I think corporate officers for sure, that's a different story. But the other thing is a lot of non-competes in other industries that people are aware of have the, you know, kind of almost like a golden parachute at the end. If either happens to either one, there's usually some money that transpires. And, and honestly, from my end on the business side, I've seen very few like that. So I'm not taking this from either strictly employee or employee side, but I think it's, and again, I know I'm going to take this back to you on the legal side. I think some of the more important things on this is having yourself covered on sales and all the things, taking your clients, taking your trade secrets, your computers, your formulas, all those type of things. I think they should be as tight as possible and, uh, that's just my thoughts on it. How, how do you feel on that? Yeah, it's tough from a business standpoint, you know, because it's hard enough to find people already, let alone find people that are willing to execute non-competes as part of their employment. So you really have to factor that in. And, you know, oftentimes you've got to add additional consideration or pay a significant amount in order to justify that kind of restrictive uh, covenant in place. Um, other stuff like non-solicitation of employees and customers, that's commonplace, you know, return of 
of you know computer equipment, laptops, phones, all that kind of stuff. You expect to see that. That's in, within employee manuals. That's within policies. You know, even independent of of separate employment agreements. So, um, but the non competes that's that's a little more tricky. You know, it really it, you really have to pay for it if you want it, in my opinion. Um, and I agree. You know, when I talk with you, said the business side. That's one thing I try to tell anybody that I'm consulting on a business client basis that you can't download these off the internet. Every right. state's different, every one of them. You got if you really want to do a proper non-compete program, you have to take the time and the effort and the money to sit and work with an attorney to do it correctly. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things we've noticed is there's a variety of states that don't even allow non-competes to begin with. So you know, depending on where you're doing work, you definitely have to check your local your state laws to make sure that it's enforceable. That's one of the things that, you know, our employment team is doing all the time. So um, we've got some big events coming up. I was talking to you a little bit about the travel schedule for the fall, but, you know, you and I are both going to be at um, Western States uh, Roofing Contractors Expo uh, here in Vegas, um, starting on, I believe, September 23rd and going to the 26th. Uh, yep. The expo itself will be on uh, Sunday and Monday, and you and I have an absolutely full schedule. Um, why don't you tell everybody about what you're doing? Well, got I have two uh, seminars, and uh, one is on uh, as you know estimating for the win, um, and then we have another one on. Uh, um, I, I know we're doing one together, the history of roofing again, which I, I would like to tell anyone who saw it before or anyone that's watched our webinars. We've got some new stuff in there, and definitely your trivia questions uh, are all new as far as that goes in there. So it, you can't, if you sat through it last year, you got to come again this year because it's all different. And then uh, we've got some uh, interesting, I'm going to let you hit a little more before shows, right? Uh, roofing, uh, we have roofing games and we have a trivia contest. And um, I think it's going to be exciting as heck. That's out on the show floor, I believe, correct? It is. It is after the first day of the trade show on Sunday uh, from 4.30 to 5.30, we're going to be doing the uh, roofer style game show, starting with a family feud theme and then moving to trivia. So very interesting. We're, it's it's going to be John and I up on the main stage and a lot of, a lot of fun questions. It's going to be uh, something unique. Nobody's ever done it before. So Fingers crossed, but I know it's going to be fun. Um, be a lot of fun to participate. Yeah, I think anybody that takes the time to participate is going to really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I've I've got a lot of speaking stuff too. Everything from contracts to you know collecting payments. I know Ben is, is Ben Briggs in our office is going to be out there speaking on employment issues as well. So, yeah, packed schedule. I tell look, anybody that's listening to this, great event to go to. Very. Uh, warm and welcoming people that are there. Uh, a lot of fun. It's in Vegas at Paris. So encourage everybody to uh, look it up. Uh, go to Western States website, sign up, register. It's going to be fun. Um, before we get to question time, John, I just want to see if you've got any nugget or tidbit you can pass on, um, you know, from the business standpoint, maybe uh, some operational advice or something, you know, from an estimating standpoint that uh, you can pass on to our loyal listeners. Yeah, I think we want to kind of stick with the, you talked a little bit of non-competes, we're, we stuck with the employment side. Let, let's kind of stick with that a minute. Um, Mid-October, I'm going to be down on a panel with uh, Southwest Florida, um, or not Southwest Florida, I'm sorry, the Palm Beach Roofing Contractor Association. And it's all about, and it's a great industry event, uh, National Women Roofing are going to be involved. It's about 
hiring, recruiting, onboarding, and mentoring and training. So I think what I want to leave on this is uh, everyone, I, I want you to think about how you need to adapt yourselves and your companies with the multiple generations that are out there right now. I mean, let's face it, we're not going to really recruit the baby boomers like me. We're, you know, you, you might if you need a senior position, but there's a huge difference between recruiting millennials and recruiting uh, Gen, Gen uh, you know, Ys, the Gen Zs. I mean, the Gen Zs, a completely different way of recruiting, completely way of, different way of how they onboard well in a way they want to uh, to, uh, you know, go follow with the training. So that being said, I, I really this is the tidbit. The interesting part is the Generation Z, which is now going to be one of the faster growing generations because they're the youngest ones coming out there. They like to have the uh, where they're they like to have their plans laid out where they're going. They like to work um, in an environment very similar to X's and baby boomers where it's kind of planned out and they do very well with training. Where, again, this is not against our millennial generation, but if you're in a millennial generation, you know you're a little bit different. You focus on some other things. So I think successfully as a roofing company, there's a lot of room out there for this Gen Z generation that wants to go out and actually not only work in your offices, but in your field. So if you really can get with your HR departments and work with different uh, folks in your organization, start recruiting that generation. That is going to be a help to our industry for some people that we need. Some sage advice, and that actually leads me perfectly into my question. Uh, uh, question. Love it. question of the day. Uh, yeah. This one is, is from Gina, and this is probably in your wheelhouse, John. Uh, what, what percentage of revenue should you allocate for training on a yearly basis and why? Good that is a great question. So for our listeners out there, um, I'm sure everyone has – a guesstimate or an opinion of what's actually spent on training within a company. Um, I've been uh, reading some of these more recent studies, and I can tell you I was actually shocked. Um, I thought it would be higher, but on the average in our industry, less than $1,600 a year is actually budgeted and spent on employee training programs. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean you know, if you think about it, okay, if everybody in the company is getting 1600 no, that's not it. That's on the average, and that money's not being spent. So, honestly, I would say that I think you want to try to put a program together. Let's say you have uh, 30 employees, uh, thir uh, so many in the field and out there. So, let's just say a 2000 right? That would be a $60,000 budget during the year. When you think about it, that's a lot of money on a 30-person company. But if you were prepared to spend up to that, the next year would even be less and less and less because you've already got the programs in place. But I think the value of spending that in the first year and it dropping down and you continue with the training probably drops 30% a year because your initial costs are up front. You're probably going to see an additional uh, bottom line improvement by having this training program and training employees of probably about four, you know, three to five percent uh, change over the year between year two and three. Usually not so much in year one because you're getting everything in. So kind of just to, to really close it out, Gina, I think you got to plan on spending. I think everyone should try to budget 2000 or more per employee in their company for training. Now, some would require less, some would require more, like certain field training may cost more, but you can benefit it 
if you spend it. So that's my magic bullet answer of the day. I say $2,000 an employee is a good budget number. Yep. I, I think, look, every penny that you spend on training is a penny well spent. And like John said, you're going to end up making multiples off that training just based on efficiency and branding and marketing and, and retention. So um, a lot of value there. You know, I, I would I would agree as far as amount. My guess is somewhere anywhere between one and five percent of gross. You know, that on that may be high depending on on what your gross is. But if you think about safety training, um, if you think about um, you know operational training, estimating training, all these different types of trainings that are available, um, you know, you can get up to that point. I think it really makes it makes a lot of sense because you're investing in your future. So Absolutely. with that, John, uh, this will end another episode of Law and Mortar. Everyone stay tuned next week uh, for a fresh new episode uh, right before we get on the road. Um, John, as always, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Always great to be here. Yep. And if you if anybody has any questions for us, uh, please feel free to reach out to me, Trent Cotney at Trent.Cotney at ARLaw.com. John, how can I get you? You can get me at jkenny at CotneyConsulting.com. Great. Thank you, guys, and stay tuned for more. See you later. Thank you.